you know, when you get out in the real world, you have your expertise and you have your, you know, professional training, but it really truly does take everyone and it takes collaboration and understanding that, you know, you might understand the dietetics of it, but someone else understands, you know, the social features of it in a, you know, in a different way and with different depth than what you do. you ever have so many questions and no one to ask so they're just wasting away on google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so we had that same problem and that's why we created the rd to be podcast a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for answers that their peers don't have we are students macy and emily and registered dietitian carl barnes we engage in conversations and learn from rds join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. It's our podcast where each week we sit down with a different registered dietitian to highlight the diversity of opportunity in the profession. Um, right now we're featuring dietetic internship programs, so really giving um, an in-depth view at certain programs for those prospective students, wherever you're at um, on your journey, looking to maybe apply very soon or apply way down the road. Um, so we're super excited to be sitting with Laura Brubaker today. Um, she's from Bowling Green State University. I'm really interested to hear about your program and, and your unique background. I'm really excited. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Great. And as always, I'm Emily, your RDB from the University of Maryland. So would you mind just giving us a brief background um, as to you know, how you got into this role? Wow, that is such a loaded question. <laughs> so I have kind of, a, I think it's fun when you meet uh, people in this profession, they almost always say I have an unconventional route to getting here. And so I feel like that's more the norm than the exception to the norm that it seems to be unconventional in that route to becoming um, a dietetics professional and, and however that looks. So for me, it started out um, like the, I suppose the longest version is I worked in a food service um, long-term care facility that was about two blocks from my house when I was in high school. It was a, a quick job. We were out by 8 p.m. after we served the dinner meal. Um, it was walking distance from my house and I just really enjoyed it. Friends were there and that type of thing. And I remember that um, every so often an individual would come in in a lab coat and just like a very, I just remember just being very smart looking. And I was like, who is that person and what do they do? And someone said, well, that is the dietitian. And I was like, I have never heard of such a thing. Um, so that was my first exposure to a dietitian. And then, um, you know, as life continues to go on, that role is in the food service department then became a lead cook, which then led to an opportunity to be a dietary manager. And then when I was in the dietary manager position at a different long-term care facility, um, like just, just after high school, uh, it was mentioned that I could either get the CDM, the Certified Dietary Manager Certificate, which at that point in time was 18 months, or the Associate's Degree Dietetic Technician, which was two years, which makes the most sense to you. So my husband and I kind of went, mm, I'm thinking the two year, it's only six months difference and I'll have an associate's versus a certificate. And he's like, yeah, I'm on board. So that led me to going um, back to school for my first time um, in my early twenties with uh, I think only one child on board and um, got the associate's degree and intended fully to go back to work right at that point in time. And 
two kids turned into four kids and a house turned into a job transfer for my husband and three years at home turned in with two kids turned into 13 years at home with four kids. <laughs> so when kid number four put on his backpack, I, well, I'm skipping a, a beat here. So I was home for those 13 years and then I decided to go, um, I had not taken the DTR certification at that point. So we had to take the like registration test, never took it from that, you know, getting that associate's degree because life happened and kids happened. And so um, I decided to go ahead and do that and um, pass the DTR exam. And I ended up, you know, at the, at the end of the day, ended up working uh, eight years in long-term care facilities as a consultant dietetic technician underneath the dietitian. But six of those years were actually me going back to school, working on my uh, bachelor's degree and then my master's degree and then the on-site internship. And what happened there was when I was a dietetic technician, I had a very, very complicated case that had, you know, all of the chapters of every book from sepsis to dehydration to tube feed to the renal, everything, every chapter that you would get a single case study was all in this one particular patient. And I went to the nurse's station and they wanted me to adjust tube feed orders. And I was just not feeling very confident. Um, and I said, can you please have the doctor check this? And they said, oh, honey, doctors don't check that. That's all on you. And so I said, all right, I'm going back to school again. So I went back to school for a second time. That was when BGSU, um, which is actually now in my backyard um, at that point, because we had moved. So it's only uh, just less than a mile away. I met the folks who um, were my instructors and who have now become my colleagues and uh, finished my undergrad. So I got my bachelor's at BGSU in dietetics and then uh, finished my master's degree as well as did the dietetic internship. So since the time of um, getting my, um, passing the RD exam, that's been, gosh, I got my undergrad in 16, my master's degree in 18. So I started teaching adjunctly at BGSU in 18. Then COVID happened, so that was a good time. Um, and just in the meantime, I've been the assistant to the internship director as well as adjunct teaching. And um, they just came up to me uh, maybe a little over a year ago and said, hey, uh, we have an idea. Um, what do you think about uh, working underneath the internship director and seeing how it goes? And I was like, can you wait, can, you, can we talk about this? Like for real? <laughs> so, uh, if I didn't already say it already, so the person who, um, so I have been hired as the transitional internship director at um, BGSU, the dietetic internship director, and I will be taking over for the person who was my internship director, who I say she made me a dietitian, and she does really doesn't like it when I say that. She says, you made yourself a dietitian, but I think she had a pretty big role in it, as well as the people who were once my instructors are now my colleagues. So it has been an unconventional road in so many ways. It has been surprising. It has been hard. There has been a certain level of blood, sweat, and tears, but it has been worth every single moment of it. So I guess I'll just cap it off by saying that. So I get it. I get it when people come to me and say, I didn't get here the way that I thought that I would get here. And I'd be like, oh, honey, I have like a seven minute, you know, uh, ex explanation for, um, how it's an unconventional road for most of us. <laughs> most definitely. And I feel like not a lot of RDs have a traditional path. A lot of people, you know, went on to have families and stuff like that and then did come back or something along those lines. 
So what does the transition of becoming a DI director look like? So I can't speak for anyone else. I can only speak for me. Um, but I have been just wonderfully blessed by my college, by my colleagues, that I actually am shadowing the current director for one year. So I think that that really kind of explains the, the depth and the, um, the, the different facets to how massive what I'm doing, is, um, you know, taking this position over is. So um, we are currently teaching um, introduction to internship, which at BGSU for the onsite interns, that's um, they meet two days a week, meeting competencies and preparing them to get ready for um, going into rotations in uh, January. So um, um, the current director and I, we are co-teaching. She CCs me in on emails and just exposing me in every way, shape, and form that she can. And whenever I see an opportunity to jump in, I'm like, I'm on it. I've got it. I've got this covered. And she'll be like, did you do this? Yep. Done. Done. And so lots of, uh, lots of middle of the night checking things off lists and saying, yes, I've done this. Yes, I've done that. And then I'll reach out and I'll say, hey, I think I still feel a little weak here. Can we talk this out? Or can we meet about that? And so it, you know, it has been an amazing transition. So I started in uh, officially in July, and then I will take over officially in May of 2022. Great. So what do you think makes the internship at Bowling State, at Bowling Green State, uh, stand out compared to other programs? So I can, I'm going to speak on that one from the fact that I'm a past intern. And um, when, and also, you know, I was an undergrad and a graduate student, and I had the pleasure of attending the, the freshmen's coming, the freshman class coming in for orientation for the first day this year. And the president spoke and was like, now that you're at BG, you're home. And I was like, he's really, really correct about that. So I live here in Bowling Green. So I use the community. My children have gone through the school system. Um, Bowling Green State University kind of sits just smack dab in the middle of a somewhat small town in Northwest Ohio, right along I-75. And uh, when you get here and you arrive at Bowling Green and you walk through the campus, it is just 100% home. So the way that that, that that kind of works out from an academic way is that um, we know our students by name. And we oftentimes know kind of little details about what their unconventional road you know, is and continues to be. And we match to like what their interest levels are. So I think one of the most exciting things is that when an intern, you know, comes into the program or even an undergraduate or graduate student and says, my interest area is X, Y, Z. And we're like, okay, we can set you up with this person. Here's a contact here. And let's put you in a rotation that focuses on this interest. And if they come back and they go, I thought I was interested in this, but now I'm actually not. We're like, okay, let's change gears then. And so because we know them on that one-on-one -on -one level, um, we just really want to make sure that we're catering to the students' need. It's not just about matching the student to our program. Um, we want to make sure that we are matching to what they need as well. Most definitely. So you mentioned that you have a, an on-site as well as probably a distance program. So would you mind comparing and contrasting the two programs? Yeah, so um, I'll just speak right now just to the dietetic internship. So yes, we run both an on-site and a distance internship program. The main difference in the two is that for the on-site interns, it's a little bit more of a competitive list. We take um, six to eight interns per year. Um, 
And then for the distance, we take up to 18. So it's a little less competitive to take the, uh, the distance route compared to the on-site route. Um, the other difference would be that the distance interns line up their own preceptors. They don't have to have all of their preceptors in place at the time of application, but we do ask that they know who their long-term care uh, preceptor and sites will be, their acute and their community. And then of course, there are um, elective sites for both the on-site and the distance where they can say, hey, my interest area is maybe sports nutrition or perhaps they, we've had people we have even had students from, you know, both programs that say, oh, I want to go and stay with a family member here for, you know, a certain amount of time. Can I go, you know, to another city or another, you know, area of the country? And we're like, yep, go right on ahead. And we cater to that. So on the on-site, we will find the preceptors unless there's an elective that they want to work with. And then we'll kind of cater to that. But otherwise, for the distance, they find their own preceptors. But we do step in and say, hey, there's a contact here. Or if they're struggling with something, we give some guidance. Great. That's very you know, helpful, especially for those students who do want to maybe go stay in a certain region because that's where family is or where they want to end up. So Yes, we have, yeah, we have one intern that was able to um, hop around and did uh, some rotations in California and some rotations. I think it was in like Utah or something like that. So really well-rounded experience that we welcomed and definitely uh, wanted to foster for that person. So if they were able to go, you know, from California to Utah and maybe other areas, how did that, um, how is that able to work? Because I know you guys also offer a master's that goes with your dietetic. So how were they, so if they were with the distance, so the distance um, interns can either choose um, to take that they can work on a graduate certificate or they can work on a master's degree. So they would do the same coursework, both on-site and distance interns would do the same coursework. Um, it's just that the distance would do it completely remotely. And then uh, when it comes to, I'm sorry, I got a phone call and I got distracted. Tell me the other half of your question. <laughs> um, so you well, you pretty much answered it. Like if this, I thought you mentioned that the student that was on site happened to want to go to two different areas for electives. So I was asking how they were able to do their masters or if it was in person and they were able to do that, or if there was a workaround that had to happen. So we've got um, many of the master's classes are offered remotely. There are some that are on site, but for the on site interns, if that happens to be the case, we'll just work one on one with that um, particular student. For the distance, it's much more simple. It, everything is remote. Um, and when the students are, that's not, that's probably not the best way to explain it, but I was going to say when the students are mainly in rotations, that's what they're focusing on. They're, they also have their master's work. But once again, generally, that's going to be not completely for the on-site, but it is all online for the distance students. Great. And then you mentioned that for your on-site students, now they're going through like the two classes a week, getting prepared to go on-site in January. So are they doing their master's coursework between now and December? Some, yes, our on-site interns are working on their master's degree at the same time, but distance students do not necessarily need to work on their master's. They can work on a graduate certificate. The difference between the two is like 15 credit hours versus a little more than 30 credit hours, I believe, yeah. um, in, from the certificate to the master's degree. However, the distance student then decides that they want to transfer 
their graduate certificate credits and then do the masters, those credits will then flip over and they can apply them. Great. So how long is your program? So um, the onsite, it's so the master's degree is two years, but the certificate is one year. Um, and then it, there is the option to go part-time for the distance students, and then that would lengthen it out a little bit. So life happens, and we recognize that. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes medical diagnoses happen. Um, children happen sometimes in the middle of uh, internship rotations, and we, you know, certainly can adjust to those things so that, you know, uh, interns can meet their life, their, you know, personal goals as well as their professional goals, too. Most definitely. So for the um, distance program, I know you said that you want students to have an acute, a community, and uh, a long-term care acute. preceptor. Just lined up mm -hmm. right? at the time. So, up. so how would a student go about doing that? So I feel like, I don't know, maybe, um, you know, everyone probably sees this from a different perspective, but dietetics is kind of a small world. And so it seems like when, particularly when you're in your undergrad program, there are oftentimes when um, students will have a shadowing experience, maybe in a community a type of class, or maybe in a, our life cycle classes, they have some experiences out in the community. It can also be um, a dietitian. Now, you know, there are resources, of course, you know, even resources like RD2B. Um, a lot of times you'll see people saying, hey, I need a line of a preceptor here, there, or whatever. We also encourage in, uh, students if they're interested in something and they don't know a soul in that uh, realm, but they still want to uh, learn something about it. There is just no harm in a cold call, or I guess in these days, a cold email. And I always tell my interns that here's the thing, A, what's the worst that they're gonna say is no, right? And you're no you know, different than the boat that you're already in. And also always remember this, every single preceptor was once in your shoes. You do not ever become a preceptor without first having to be precepted. <laughs> and so they understand the value, they understand the connection. Um, and most preceptors, they get a little bit of CPU, CPEU credits out of that, but the generally preceptors are, you know, working with dietetic interns because they've been there, they understand the importance of it, and they want to, you know, give back to what was given to them once upon a time. Definitely. And I feel like another big thing students also have questions about that they don't really know how to navigate is finances. So what kind of advice would you have for students who are struggling to figure out finances when they want to consider going into a dietetic internship? That one is definitely can be a tough one. Um, so I actually reached out to my colleagues and I was like, hey, what kind of uh, um, suggestions do you know we have kind of collaborative collaboratively as a group? And so, of course, there's scholarships from the academy that can be um, applied for for, you know, all interns. Um, there's also um, foundation scholarships as well. There can be scholarships throughout uh, the student's university or other universities. I actually had earned a scholarship because I was a post-traditional post student who was already working in healthcare. So I was able to get a scholarship through, um, it was actually, I think it was like some, it was through the state of Ohio because I went to school in Ohio and it was also somehow related to, um, I, you know, I can't remember the specifics of it, but it definitely had to do with being in healthcare and being post-traditional students. So opportunities are just everywhere. The more that you, you know, reach out and say, hey, you know, I have a question here or, you know, what, how was the solution there, you know, 
having to meet the financial obligation of an education is not new for you know very few people. Many of us have struggled um, with that. So there are a lot of different um, you know people who you can just say, hey, this is kind of the boat I'm in. What what do you know? Or what connections do you have? You would be really surprised what people would share. Um, for BGSU, we also um, we have a tuition scholarship, and then um, we offer a stipend. So we have graduate assistance for this is for the on-site program. They um, will work as graduate students um, within the program. So it, there are just a wide range, whatever the student's interest is. So they can even do research or they can help, you know, instruct other classes and they help with like creating if we have like a big program or some type of a, um, like a, a big uh, meeting that's coming to campus. The students will work as graduate assistants to help the current instructors and then they will earn um, a stipend through that. Um, I also, um, one of my colleagues said the RDs who are working on a master's only, there can be um, employer reimbursement um, and they can also go part-time to kind of soften the financial you know, blow from that perspective. And of course there is also financial aid as well. Great, thank you so much for that advice. So kind of going to the application process for um, Bowling Green, what are some things that your program looks for in a student um, that you guys think would make a good fit for your program? Well, I would say probably my biggest pointer on that one would be that because we really do pride ourselves on being somewhat of a, you know, a, we know you personally program, we wanna see authenticity in that personal statement. We want to make sure that, as I mentioned before, that we are a match for you as much as you are a match for us. And we also want to make sure that you know that you're in the right place. So it seems like most people that, you know, it doesn't really matter what that journey looks like when you land where you're supposed to be. You're just like, ah, oh, I'm finally, you know, I, I know this is the right road for me. I know I'm on the right path. So we want to see that reflected in that personal statement. So um, those are really the main things that we look for. Um, we come together as a faculty and uh, look closely at the applications, personal statements, um, just overall GPA, and just look and see what students are going to be not only a match, you know, for us to them, but for them back to us as well. Do you guys also offer an interview process or is it purely based on um... I guess, like you said, the personal statement, resume, and GPA. For the distance interns, we do um, an interview process. In the past, we've always done that by phone. I think with the changing ways of the world, that that will likely be via Zoom now, so that we can have the, the pleasure of um, eye contact and a little bit more mm -hmm. of a of a personal conversation when you can, you know, look at people and talk in that way. So yes, the distance interns. I'm sorry, the on-site interns. We typically do not have a um, an interview, we take a fair number of our own interns, so our, our own undergraduate students, so we know the majority of those students, but we do mix um, a, a handful of other students from other universities that when we look at the application process, we're like, yeah, this looks like a good match. They look like they, you know, really know, you know, that they want to be here and that this is a good match for them. Is there any particular reason why you don't interview those who are potentially coming on site? 
you know, the, the best probably explanation I can have is because we already know so many of the students that will end up coming. Um, that would be the main reason why. Um, that would be something probably moving forward that if I talked to my colleagues and said, hey, do you think that we should, you know, start interviewing face-to-face -face for, um, you know, face-to-face -face via Zoom, I should say, with the um, incoming on-site group? Do you think that we should? And that is certainly something that we could change. And, and if a student, they can also call too, and they do that very often. They'll start out with an email and they'll ask a question to the current director, which has been CCing me in on those kinds of, of questions. And if they would like to meet, we certainly do, you know, offer, hey, you know, you'd like to talk this out a little bit more. We're always available to do that. Great. And then, so you've had many real world experiences before coming into this position. So coming in May or even now during your transition, what real world experiences do you want to, you know, pass on to your interns to make sure that they're as prepared as possible? So when I think of my real world experience, I think of my clinical experience. So after I got my RD, then I worked briefly in an acute care center. And then from there, I switched to um, an LTAC, which is a long-term care acute center. So it's a hospital, um, LTACs are. And you know, back in the day, they always uh, mostly focused on respiratory failure. So wouldn't you know it that this little pandemic that is kind of a going around is yeah, based upon respiratory failure. So we had just, I was on the COVID front lines in uh, March and April of 2020. And I think it has permanently changed me <laughs> in so many ways. And so, you know, taking that real world experience back to the classrooms, my colleagues were like, Laura, can you build us a COVID case study? Laura, can you know, what are you seeing out in the real world? How can you help us you know, build our curriculum so that it looks more like, you know, what the world looks like right now. And I certainly, you know, was able to provide that not only, you know, for my students, but for my colleagues and for, you know, these students that, you know, they're undergrads and, and that type of thing. So um, I think from an, another like real world experience, so BGSU, um, we are currently opening, opening a nursing lab, which we are incredibly excited about. So we have a nursing program that we have always had that was actually taught in another location. And so we have brought that uh, nursing program before the pandemic, we're in the process of bringing it back on campus. And now they have this teaching lab. And so we are so excited about um, working on that interpersonal education. So we call it IPE. Um, in the real world, we call it the interdisciplinary or the IDT team. So mixing the IDT team and getting students, you know, we've got the College of Health and Human Service, we've got speech and language, we have um, social work, we have nursing, we have uh, medical laboratory science, and we're bringing those students together and, have, and giving them case studies and letting them say, you know, see how, you know, when you get out in the real world, you have your expertise and you have your, you know, professional training but it really truly does take everyone and it takes collaboration and understanding that, you know, you might understand the dietetics of it, but someone else understands, you know, the social features of it and, you know, in a different way and with different depth than what you do, you need to be willing to reach out to those people. And so we're teaching them that at this educational level is I feel like that's where I got my real world training of going, Oh, you mean I can actually like call speech and language and ask him a question like, uh, yeah, you're supposed to, you know, go talk to pharmacy about, you know, whatever issue you may have. And I, I guess I kind of missed that. So now with this IPE or this interpersonal, interprofessional education, we are going to, you know, be teaching students, you know, at the grassroots level at, you know, 
get your IDT team involved. Great. Well, on behalf of like everybody, thank you for, you know, your hard work with COVID. I mean, everybody thinks the nurses and the doctors, but there's so many other people behind the scenes. So I'm sure you saw some terrifying things, (laughs) but thank you for being, you know, there and helping the people who needed it. So thank I guess you for the thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so I guess my final question is, what advice would you have for students who are going to be applying for DICAS um, this upcoming uh, iteration? I would say, and this is going to be the, the internship director in me, take a breath. You're okay. It's going to be okay. What's supposed to happen is going to happen. I just had a student um, come to me the other day because a plan that they had made did not uh, fall in line the way that they ha- that they wanted it to. And I said, you know what? It's happening the way it's supposed to happen. It might not be your plan, but it is the plan. <laughs> so um, I specifically remember hitting that button on my diecast, and I just thought that is it. It, it was so mean because when I went to hit the button, and diecast goes, "Are you sure?" And I was like. Not sure. So I just hit the button anyways and just kind of left it to the universe and making sure that, you know, I did everything that I could. I followed all my instructions. I, you know, did everything, you know, all the steps that I said that they needed. I worked really hard in that undergrad. I got that GPA as high as I could. I made all the connections that I could. And, you know, at a certain point, you just, you do everything that you can. And then you just take a breath and you give yourself credit for things that you don't even know that you know. Like that's another thing I tell my interns is they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so worried. And I'm like, listen, you know more than you know, you know, you know. So um, they really just kind of like take a breath. You can see those shoulders start to relax. And then they're like, okay, you're right. I can do this. And just one step forward, just one step at a time. It's, you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's, you know, a few chapters to make a volume. Great. Thank you so much for taking time out and talking to us today. We're really excited to share this with students. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me and good luck to everyone out there.